just, you know, if new life is not happening, amen, if, if, if really the spirit of God is not stirring us up, then what are we really doing? And I love to see the spirit of the living God moving on people's lives and moving on people's hearts. And I'm glad to see uh, each and every one of you here this morning. Y'all, y'all excited to be here? Yes. EFJ's in the house. I know we've welcomed them, but y'all give EFJ a hand clap. That's our six through, six through 10 year olds. And uh, they are the best. Amen. We, we bring them in uh, once a month and allow them to be a part of the service. And I think it's really important that we do that. Amen. I think it's important that, uh, that, that we include them in the life of what's going on. But whenever they're having their services on other Sundays, our, we have our nursery and big kids over here in this building. And those are our little ones. And then we've got the six or tens upstairs. And I'm telling you, they're getting the power of God. They're getting the word of God. They ain't watering it down. If you know Don Mashmeyer... You know he ain't watering nothing down for nobody. He give them the word, amen? These young people, they know the word. So, uh, so awesome, so awesome. Hallelujah. Put it in the pot. Y'all ready? So last week I started a message called Put It in the Pot. And uh, if you didn't see that message, uh, go back after the service today. It'll help you, uh, you know, understand this message more. This is actually just a continuation of what, what I preached last time. And so I just want to dive right in, jump right in uh, to, to this message. And, and, and you know, the, the whole context and idea that we're talking about uh, today and what we started with last week is that our lives are made up of sweet ingredients. Amen. We all got something sweet going on in our lives. We all got some milk chocolate morsels. Listen to me. We got some brown sugar and some white sugar. I had a lot of comments about that last week. Because it's important that you got the brown sugar and the white sugar. Yeah, I mean, you know, you don't want to come to a church with just white sugar. Oh, jeez. I wouldn't go to a church with just white sugar. Mm -mm. Hallelujah. I got distracted, y'all. I'm sorry. Our lives, every single one of our lives are made up of sweet ingredients, things that we look back on and we reflect on and we're glad about, things, the blessings, the privileges that we've had in our lives. And every single one of our lives has some bitter ingredients, right? Some bitter ingredients. And the, the whole idea of this message uh, that, that, you know, if you saw the video yesterday, my wife makes the absolute best chocolate chip cookies in the world. And, and I'll just go ahead and let y'all know now, every single person, I think, we make enough for everybody. We good? So every single person in here is going to get a chocolate chip cookie after church today. My wife is the absolute best. She worked for five hours yesterday baking cookies. Man, tell you what, tell you what. But I, I just, we're not baking cookies this morning. We're building the kingdom. Amen. So don't, 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 don't miss what we're talking about. This is about the kingdom. And I think it's a great illustration to know that, that if we take the sweet ingredients and we, we keep them to ourselves, nobody wants to eat just a bag of sugar. Right? And if we take the bitter ingredients, now we had a lot of controversy. I realized the controversial message last week, and this was one of the greatest controversies we had, was does the butter go in the bitter or the sweet? I think it goes in the bitter. But I ain't trying to stir anybody up. You do what you want to do. Don't leave the church because I put the butter 
in the bitter pot. But the bottom line is nobody wants to eat a spoonful of flour. But if we take all the ingredients, the, the, the sweet and the bitter, and we put them in the pot, telling you the glory comes down. Something incredible happens when we take the bitter and the sweet and we put it in the pot. So good. The bitter, we break it up and you see the signs. The the sweet, we're calling privileges. We talked about these last week and I realize that's a trigger word in 2020, but it's okay. We can still talk about it in the church and we talk about pain. Privileges and pain, sweet and bitter. These two things, privileges and pain, are being offered in mass quantities to our world right now, but Jesus never reached for either of them. He wouldn't touch them. There was never anyone more privileged, we talked about that last week, or anyone more victimized, anyone who went through more pain than Jesus. But he never touched either one to promote himself or try to get himself further down the road. He never used privilege or pain for self-gain. Never did it. Would not do it. You know, in, in the pot in this scenario, it represents the cross. The cross is the dumping ground for everything good and everything horrible in our lives. There is nothing in my life that I have that I do not need to surrender to the Lord Jesus at, at, at Calvary. Amen? When we put it in the pot, whenever we surrender it at the cross of Jesus, he can take the good and the bad of our lives and, and use it for his glory. Something incredible can come out of that. I love it. Watch, you know, the cross is such a, everybody says, bring it to the cross, put it on, you know, bring your sin to the cross. What does that really mean? I love the way Watchman Nee describes the cross. It's so simple, but it's so true. He says the cross is a principle. And the principle of the cross is to deny self and depend on God. Isn't that good? The cross is the place where we come and we deny self and we depend on God. We deny self. I'm not going to use the sweet things of my life for myself. I'm going to surrender them. I'm going to deny self and depend on God. I'm not going to use the, 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 the bitter things of my life to, for, for self-gain. I'm going to deny self and I'm going to surrender to God. And so last week we talked about privileges. If you missed the message, go listen to it. And today I want to talk about pain. Now I think we can all get on board with pain. Pain. And I realize EFJ is in here today, so if y'all pray for me, we'll move through this rather gracefully. Amen? Yeah, everybody's like, yeah, right. So that's all right. There's never been anyone who went through more pain than Jesus. Who was more victimized than Jesus. He was hurt and rejected by his family, friends, and countrymen. He was perfect, yet he dies a sinner's death. This is incredible. This is our Savior. I love it. And so we're talking about pain and Jesus leads the way with pain. He refused to, to, to use his pain for self-gain. And we live in a world right now where a lot of people, it's such a temptation to use our pain for self-gain when God's saying, don't use your pain for yourself. Surrender your pain to me and let's see what I can do with it. Pain is not for self-gain. The source of pain is sin. Can we all agree? Pain didn't come on the scene until Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve disobey God. Sin enters the scene, and along with sin enters pain. And, and I just want to say this about pain, because 
I want to do this message kind of in, in, in two quick parts today. Is, is pain, if left to ourselves, the, the, the bitter, painful areas of our lives. And the Holy Spirit right now can speak to all of us at one time because every single one of us has areas of pain in our lives. If, if we'll look back through our history just for a second, we, we realize that there are a lot of areas in our lives that pain was inflicted from our parents, from, from people that were supposed to be there for us, from people that were supposed to show up, but they didn't show up. I'm talking about some difficult things in our lives, people that were supposed to protect us, but they didn't. Pain. We've all got it. And Jesus wants it. Pain kept to ourselves demands two things. Demands two things. I want you to remember this. If we keep the bitter things of our lives to ourselves, if we don't put it in the pot, if we don't surrender it at the cross of Jesus, it will demand two things. Pain kept to ourselves demands pity and it demands payment. It demands pity and it demands payment. I like how quiet it is in here. I can hear the air conditioners going. That's good. It demands pity and it demands payment. But what cheap substitutes for what the cross has to offer if we'll surrender it there? I'm telling you, put it in the pot. Somebody say put it in the pot. Pity. Somebody feel sorry for me. If you knew what I've been through, If you knew the difficulty, somebody, see, we're on a quest. Whenever pain is inflicted in our lives, we're on a quest to try to get somebody to find out about how bad it hurts. I just want somebody to know what I've lived through. It demands pity. Somebody feels sorry for me. Tell my kids, if you're lucky, you'll have one person in this life feel sorry for you. If you're lucky, maybe your mama will. If you're lucky. Maybe your mama will. But we live in a world that's going to keep moving. Amen? It's, this is a dry, empty place that we're trying to get satisfaction from. Somebody feel what I've felt. Somebody empathize with me. I want somebody to know what I've been through. It demands pity. Somebody feel sorry for me. This is the victim's way out. Somebody feels sorry for me. And, you're, and I'm telling you, right, I can feel the spiritual arguments going on right now. It's quiet in here, but y'all loud in the spirit. Right? You're like, but Colby, you don't understand, man. You don't understand the difficulty, the pain, the insanity that I've had to live through. You want to talk about craziness? Colby, if you knew my childhood, look, I, listen to me, I, 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 I don't know. And you will spend your life running to people trying to get them to feel sorry for you and they won't know either. Nobody's lived through what you've lived through. Nobody has felt what you have felt. Nobody can empathize with you the way you need to be empathized with. So trying to find another human being to be that for us, listen to me, if we're trying to satisfy that hole in our hearts by getting somebody to feel sorry for us, we're spinning our wheels. We're wasting our time. But there is somebody. I love the cross. There is somebody who's lived what you've lived through. 
There is somebody who's lived what I've lived through. There is somebody who's tasted every ounce of bitterness that has been offered to me in my 39 years of life. There is somebody. His name is Jesus. He tasted yours and he tasted mine. And if I'm running around looking for, looking for the world, I'm telling you, the world is screaming right now. Somebody feels sorry for me. I know how I'll get ahead. I'll get people to feel sorry for me. It's a cop-out for the Christian. It's not the way that God has called us to live. The God has called us to live to, by surrendering the bitter things of our lives at the foot of the cross. Pity will rob the purpose of your pain. It will rob the purpose of your pain. There is somebody. I need somebody to feel sorry for me. I need somebody to empathize with me. I need somebody to feel what I felt, who has gone through what I've gone through. I need somebody. There is somebody. His name is Jesus. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not Sin. Now listen to what the scripture says in verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In our difficulty, when dealing with the bitter areas of our lives, we are not supposed to run here and there. We're not even supposed to run to our mama. Because nobody can fully understand like Jesus what we've lived through. And when we realize that there's nobody that can empathize with us like except for Jesus, then we will come boldly before his throne of grace because we realize that we need help and he's the only one who can offer it to us. Nobody's got a solution for us except Jesus. Pity will rob the purpose of your pain, but the cross will bring purpose to your pain. Come on, somebody. Put it in the pot! Put it in the pot. I'm excited. It demands pity and it demands payment. I'll tell you, a lot, of, a lot of angry people in the world. Golly, the world's raging right now, isn't it? The church can't rage with it. The church is different. We, we, we have a higher calling. We, we operate by a different authority. We, 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 we can't rage with the world. And this pain will demand pity and it will demand payment. Somebody's got to pay. Somebody has got to pay for what has happened to me. Somebody's got to pay for what I've lived through. It's what it rages. I've heard this cry in my own heart. Somebody's got to pay. It's the cry of the world right now. Somebody has got to pay. Come on, some of this pain, it's not even just pain that happened to us, it's generational pain, it's cultural pain. Somebody has got to to pay. I've got good news for you today. Somebody did. Amen. And if I take the bitterness of my life and, 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 and I come down, look, I'm going to move slow so the live stream can keep up with me. And I come down these, 
stares and I say, Terry, that was a pretty salty thing you did in my life. You, you, you need to pay for that. You were supposed to be there for me and you weren't. You were supposed to protect me, but you didn't. I need you to pay. And I'm going to hold you captive in my heart until you do. I need you to pay. Somebody's got to pay for what happened to me. The world is looking. Now, Terry really didn't do anything to me. <laughs> I love Terry. I need somebody to pay for my pain. Somebody did pay for your pain. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says that you were bought with a price. The blood of Jesus was the purchase price for your soul. The blood of Jesus was the ticket price. John, it was the sticker price. Jesus didn't try to bargain. He paid the ticket. He paid the sticker price, man. He paid it all. Somebody paid for our pain. Jesus paid. So if I'm trying to get you to pay for my pain, then I'm going to the wrong source. You know why? Because because you don't have what I need. You don't have enough money. Listen to me. Nobody has enough money to pay for the difficulty of your life. Your life was worth more than dollar bills. Nobody's got enough for that. You don't have enough time. Listen, nobody has enough time to give you back what was robbed from you when you were a child. Nobody's got that much time. There is only one that can satisfy the raging, that can pay for the payment that's demanded. Jesus paid it all on Calvary's cross. But I think the important thing to remember is that What's owed to us, we all, we all know what's owed to us, right? But, but, but we, 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 all of us, we're all like, man, but a lot of people owe me. I've been through some stuff. My parents owe me. My teachers owe me. A group of people owes me. The generations past owe me. People, somebody better pay for this pain. Everybody can pay for that pain. Thing to remember and this is where the grace of God comes in. This is where the gospel, this is, where, this is why you've got to filter everything through the good news of Jesus Christ. Because there's not a person in here living debt free. I don't care what Dave Ramsey course you took. That was a joke. That was a joke. It was a bad joke, but it was a joke. Listen to me, none of us in here. You say, but they owe me. Well, who do you owe? Nobody want to talk about that. Nobody want to talk about that. We got a lot of people right now flooding the streets talking about who, somebody owes them. Who do you owe? Got the world right now saying, pay me. Who have you paid? You paid back? You paid back all your debts? I've, I've, man, this is, a, this, is a, this is a tough one. Give me three EFJ kids. This is a Bible story. It's a good Bible story. Three EFJ kids. I need EFJ. Come here, Skip. Come here. Oh, no. Did you turn 11? All right, he's 10. Get up here, Skip. Skip's 11 tomorrow. Y'all give him a hand clap. Hey, that joker slid in. All right. 
We got baptism. All right. All right. All right. Oh, this is good. I need a four. Come here, Abby. This is good. Skip, you're right here. Skip. See, there's a Bible story. It's Matthew 18. Starts in verse 21. You go home and read it. It's a story about this guy. Grant's going to be the guy. He's a guy. And, and he has some, he has a, a servant and his wife, okay? Now, y'all calm down. Look at case and fifth. Oh, my Lord. Now, look, we're talking about cookies today. Somebody say cookies. Now, I'm going to break this down for you. I'm going to break this down for you, VeggieTales style, real fast. Grant is a scoundrel in this story. He's a scoundrel. And let me tell you something. Cookies. Everybody say cookies. In this story, go read in your Bible, Matthew 18. In this story, Grant owes Skip, who is the king. He's the king in the story. Mm, man of God. Grant owes Skip. David, he owes him a million chocolate chip cookies. A million. And one day Skip said, pay up. Tell him, pay up. I want my cookies. Pay up. I need my cookies. Grant, do you have a million cookies? No. What are you going to do? All right, he ain't got the cookies. So you're going to throw him in jail? No. Yo, tell him you're going to throw him in jail. Start crying. Now, now be like, oh, man, that's all right. I forgive you. I forgive you. All right. So, so the king forgives his debt because he started crying and whining of a million cookies. That's a lot of cookies. And then Grant's like, yeah. And Grant has a servant who's married. I mean, this guy's got a beautiful wife. And Kaysen, come here, Kaysen. It's okay. All right, right there. Kaysen owes Grant 10 cookies. Skip, say he heard this lesson before. Kaysen, I mean, Kaysen owes Grant 10 cookies. And Grant says, pay up. Pay up. And Kaysen says, I don't have any cookies. I don't have any cookies. So you tell him, I'm going to throw you in jail and sell your wife. This really happened in the story. And Kaysen starts crying because he didn't have any cookies. And Grant says, I don't care if you're crying. You're going to prison until you can pay. Now y'all go to prison. Him and his whole family. Now how insane is this? He was forgiven a million cookie debt. But he didn't forgive the 10 cookie debt. I mean, this, this blows my mind. But see, the whole world lives in light of what's been done to us, what somebody owes us, and we've never had a revelation of what we owe the king. Y'all give them a hand clap. Y'all go sit down. And the world right now is raging. It's saying, somebody give me my 10 cookies. But they've never had a revelation of the million cookies that they owe the king. I'm telling you, we don't need a better revelation of what happened to us. We need a better revelation of what happened to him. Amen? Because he paid the price. Nobody can pay for what you've lived through. The important thing to remember about that story 
that I just said, the two things that we learn from this parable is that what we owe is always greater than what's owed to us. 100% of the time, you have not had a revelation of the grace of God. You say, you say Cole, but you don't understand what my, what my parents did. You don't understand what happened to me. You don't understand what I've lived through. No, what is owed to you will never be as great as what you owe. And whenever you look at the king and you say, I can't possibly pay for what I owe you. I can't possibly pay the debt for my own sin. And he says, that's all right. I forgive you. I forgive you, showing us, leading the way on how we are to treat those who owe us. Our pattern. So the first thing is that what we owe is always greater than what's owed to us. The second thing is our pattern to handle what is owed is set by how God handled what we owed him. Forgiveness. Everybody say forgiveness. Forgiveness. When we put our pain in the pot, I'm telling you, if you ever get there, and I pray that you do, when we put the bitter circumstances and situations of our lives in the pot, forgiveness is the only way forward. It's the only way forward. And that is not the message that the world is screaming right now. Forgiveness is the only way forward because that is the way that our God walked. We don't get to invent new paths in the church. We go the way he goes. He paid. He said it's finished. He said the debt is fully paid. And if it's fully paid in my life, then I have this wonderful opportunity to release those that I'm holding in bondage to their debts. That's a tough message. Because, because right now, everybody's thinking of their, their customized situation and what they've lived through. But I'm telling you, how do we forgive? There's only one way to forgive. It's the same way that God forgave us. It's in Ephesians 4.32. It says, just as in Christ, God forgave us. How did God forgive us? He forgave us in Jesus. He forgave us through Jesus. So the only way that you're going to be able to forgive the offender in your life is through Jesus. You are going to absolutely have to come and take some of the bitter areas of your life and put them in the pot. Jesus is the only way forward when dealing with our pain. Nobody has the pity you need and nobody has enough to pay. Jesus has it all. I love it. Let's read the scripture last week. What happened to me? has not hindered me, but it helped me. So powerful, Philippians 1.12. What happened to me has not hindered me, but it's helped me. I'm telling you, when you go to the cross, what happened to you is not going to hinder you. It's actually going to help you. Amen? And it's going to help you in furthering the kingdom of God. You know, there's a perfect person in the Bible that I want to talk about. His name is Moses. His story starts in uh, Exodus. Exodus chapter 2, we see him being born and. I don't want to tell the entire story of Moses, but Moses is uniquely positioned with a lot of privilege and a lot of pain. And, and it's incredible to see what happens. It's, it's, it's such an incredible parallel to our lives because I, I want to be a Moses. Anybody want to be a Moses? 
There was an entire uh, 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 race of people, an entire generation of people that were in bondage. They had been there for over 400 years. Moses was their deliverer. How many of y'all want to be a Moses? All three of you. That's great. It only took one Moses. So I guess all three of us, we're going after him. You know, in, in, in this story, Moses is born, he's a, he's a Hebrew, he's a Jew, and he's, he's born, and uh, Pharaoh, at that time, the king of Egypt, he, he, he saw that the, uh, the Israelites were getting too powerful, so he decided to kill all the baby boys. He decided, and, and you know, I've noticed throughout history, uh, throughout the Bible, any time that God was about to do something massive, the babies started dying, Right? Babies started dying. Babies started dying. I'm telling you, you better get ready. You better get ready because not one of them had died in vain. Amen. I'm telling you, I believe that, that we are on the cusp, on the verge of the greatest move of God that we've ever seen. Amen. I believe that. All three of you again, I'm telling you, this is good. This is good. The babies start dying. So the babies start dying. Moses, they, they start killing all the baby boys uh, because the, the Israelites are getting too powerful. And, and so they start killing all these baby boys. But Moses' mom, she sees that he's special. She recognizes something in him. So, so she, she hides him. And then she pushes him in the river in, in a basket. And y'all all know the story, maybe. If you haven't, read it. Exodus chapter 2. It's so good. And, and uh, Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses. And she raises him as an Egyptian in the palace. So, so he's, he's fully Hebrew and, and, and like fully Egyptian. He, he's, 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 he's fully slave and bondage and difficulty and he's fully privileged. It's, it's, he's this incredibly unique person that I think he's a lot like us. And, and Moses, as he grows up, he, 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 he knows, he begins to sense his purpose. He begins to sense his destiny. And, and one day he sees an Egyptian, and this Egyptian is beating one of his Hebrew brothers. He's beating. And Moses, he, he, he senses his calling, he senses his destiny, and he goes and he gets the Egyptian and he beats him to death. He rescues his brother. He buries him in the sand. Next day, he sees two of his Hebrew, Hebrew brothers fighting. And it's, it's, it's funny. He goes to break them up and say, hey, guys, what are y'all doing? We can't be fighting each other. We've got to have each other's back. And, and his Hebrew brothers look at him and say, man, who in the world are you? Who in the world are you? You're going to kill us like you did that Egyptian? And Moses realized that he had been found out in his sin, and he runs away. He runs away. Incredible story. And he spends the next 40 years in a town called Midian with the Midianites. And he's, I'm sorry, he's 40 years. He spends the next 40 years. He shows up to a well, and he, he is introduced to a guy named Jethro. I think Jethro is one of the most important characters in the story, but I don't have time to preach it. And he spends the next 40 years, we don't hear anything from him. He's tending sheep on the backside of a mountain working for his 
Uh, he married Jethro's daughter, so he's working for his father-in-law for 40 years. And, you know, I, I look at this story, and, and Moses was moved to action by all of his privilege and all of his pain. There was something stirring in him. Can you imagine how painful it was for, for him to know that he was robbed from his mother? For him to know that he was a Jew, that he was a Hebrew, yet he had to watch them suffer every single day and there was nothing he could do about it while he, while, 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 while he was living the good life in the palace? Don't you know that was difficult? There was an entire generation of Hebrew boys that were killed. He was the only one. I mean, there is some pain. There's some messed up stuff going on in Moses. And I'm telling you, he was moved to action by all of his privilege and all of his pain. He said, you know what? I'm still here. I, I, I've had the ability to, to, to have some good things happen in my life, so I must be the one to try to help my brothers and sisters. I'm going to be the one. He senses his calling. He senses his destiny. But just because you can see it, just because you can feel it, and just because you're passionate about the problem doesn't mean that you're ready to fix the problem. And I think we've got a lot of people right now that can see the problem, they can feel the problem, and they're passionate about the problem, but they're not ready to fix the problem. You can't be part of the solution until you've experienced the solution. You can't be part of the solution. How are we really helping people? See, Moses thought he would be part of the solution by what? Killing one Egyptian at a time? Doing his part? There were so many ways that Moses could have justified his actions. But you can't truly be part of the solution until you have experienced the solution, the cross of Jesus. See, Moses still had all that pain, and out of his anger and out of his bitterness, he was going to try to solve the problem, but he couldn't do it. He wound up making the problem worse. Is this incredible? If you haven't put it in the pot, then your efforts to fix the problem will only add to the problem. I'm telling you, God is calling us to himself. It's so incredible. The providence of God. God leads Moses. Moses thinks he's running away. He's screwed up his life. There's nothing he can do. And he shows up at Jethro's well. And he spends 40 years. Jethro was a priest of Midian. He was a man of God. He spends 40 years. Everybody say 40 years. I'm almost done. 40 years being mentored, being discipled, working out all of his pain. He spends 40 years. What was he doing for those 40 years? He was learning to put it in the pot. 40 years. It took 40 years for Moses to get from sensing and realizing his destiny to getting to where he was actually usable by God to fulfill his calling. 
So what, am I, what, what, what does that tell me? That tells me when, when I sense passion, when I feel pain, when I sense pain, when, when, I, when I see wrong, when, whenever I see all this going on in the world, what do I do? Do, 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 I, do I run out and try to fix it or do I run to God and get fixed? We got a whole lot of broken people trying to fix something. Instead of of going and getting fixed to fix something. God's going to fix what he's going to fix. God's going to do what he's going to do. See, the world is screaming right now, take to the streets. I'm telling you, the cry of God in Psalm 91 is take to the secret place. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to Christians today. I'm talking to the church. We got to do something. I know. We do. We've got to do something. We have got to do something. Moses tried to do something without putting it in the pot. And it just caused more pain. But I'm telling you, when that man came out of 40 years, oh my God. God's calling us into a process with him and into a deeper relationship with him. Listen to me. He's not freaking out about the condition of our world. He is getting Christians ready to be solutions. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. Moses spent 40 years putting his pain and his privilege in the pot and God raised up a deliverer. It's insane. He raised up a deliverer. Not a dysfunctional deliverer. Right? He was not a dysfunctional deliverer. Right? He was at the beginning. 40 years later, he knew what was up. See, at the beginning, golly, at the beginning, Moses said, I got this. I can take down Egypt all by myself. He he was a dysfunctional believer. He was a delusional deliverer. He was completely delusioned concerning himself. It took 40 years for God to draw the delusion out of Moses. And whenever God finally talks to him from the burning bush and says, Moses, you're going to go talk to Pharaoh and be the instrument that I use to deliver my people. Moses says, no, not this guy. Oh, there's no delusion there. He is totally sober about who he really is, which is nobody unless God wants to make him somebody. There was no delusion. There was no dysfunction. See, I've read that part of Moses' story before and be like, man, why didn't Moses just say, all right, God, I'm ready to go. He, he questions God because Moses had a revelation of himself like nobody else. There's no way I could be the guy. See, he started out being the guy. Whenever, whenever he put it in the pot, when he went through his 40-year process, when he stayed in the secret place, when he stayed under the authority of Jethro for 40 years, when he came out of that, he knew. Moses is nobody. Moses is not strong. Moses can't do it. 
See, there's conflicting testimony about Moses because Moses said, God, I can't talk to Pharaoh. I'm, I'm, I'm weak in speech. But when we see Stephen preaching about Moses in Acts chapter 7, Moses says that he was powerful in deed and in speech. Moses did have a gift to speak, but he would not rely on that gift to speak. He knew that if he was going to make a difference in Egypt, it would have to be God and no natural ability that he had. God doesn't need famous preachers. God doesn't need great singers. God doesn't need gifted people. God doesn't need talented people. God needs surrendered people. That's who our God needs. You take to the streets, I'm taking to the secret place. You protest, I'm going to process. Come on, somebody. I want to be an actual solution. I want to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this earth. There is an answer. You say, but we've got to do something. You know what the craziest part about this story is? One of the most offensive parts about this story is God puts the the, the pain and the suffering of the Hebrew people on hold for 40 years. See, I, I don't approve of this part. He literally... Let's people suffer for 40 more years so he can get his man ready. I know we can see it, we can taste it, we can sense it, and we can feel it. But I want to reject the urge to do something with my stuff, myself. Because I want to tell you something. God is just as interested in developing his deliverer as he is in delivering the masses. And you say, well, what's the church's role in this? The church's role, us as individuals, is, 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 is to come to Jesus with everything that we are and work out our stuff with him. To come to this place of denying self and depending on him. That is the pot. That is the cross. And to come out on the other side of it knowing I may not be the most gifted. Maybe I am the most gifted. But God, what you do with my pain and my privilege is up to you. What you do is up to you. See, I, think, I, I, just, I just think if we look at things biblically and not out of all of our stuff, because we've all got the stuff. I'm not telling you don't participate and don't, 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 don't help people whenever it's within your ability to help people. That's not what I'm saying. The good Samaritan, he helped the guy that came across his path. But I love where he takes him. He takes him to the end, Pastor. He takes him to the end, the church. He gets him to the safe place. You say, well, the church in the safe place. That's not up for us to decide. If the, well, listen to me. God's going to do what God's going to do with the church. Throughout history, for the last 2,000 years, the church has been broken and God has still chosen to use it. Don't worry about the church. God's going to get what he wants from the church. Come on, he's raising up deliverers. I think I'm standing in a room full of deliverers. But if we're going to be deliverers, then we can't be afraid put it in the pot. 
whatever you've got that you think is worth something. The Apostle Paul, we talked about it last week, he said it's worthless. I'm surrendering it to God. And whatever you got that you think is so bad that it's keeping you from God's plan for your life, you're not powerful enough to keep yourself from God's plan for your life when you put it in the pot. I don't care what you've done, what's been done to you, or what you've been through. You come to the cross of Jesus, you experience his salvation and his deliverance, and you stay with him long enough. We stay with him. We, 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 we can't stay with him for 40 minutes after church. Moses stayed with him for 40 years. Can we do this thing for a minute and see what God does? He's raising up deliverers, amen? Father, how have I used my privilege, the privileges of my life, or my pain, my victim mentality? How have I used that to serve myself? Come on, these are prayers that we could pray. How have I used them to serve myself instead of surrendering them to you? See, I just believe that I'm in a room full of people that can actually make a difference. But we're going to make a difference by coming to Jesus and allowing him to work out the stuff that's in us. Why, why, why would we want to be dysfunctional and delusional deliverers? Why do we want to waste our time killing one Egyptian at a time when we could stand up and say, Pharaoh, let my people go. Messing around burying one at a time in the sand when entire seas can bury entire, I mean, the sea can bury entire armies. I want to be a part of the solution. I'm running to the secret place. You can be a part. Run to the secret place. Run to Jesus. Dive into Jesus like you never have before. Like you never have before. I can feel it all raging in me all the stuff that, that I know that I haven't put in the pot yet, because how many of y'all know I haven't put all my stuff in the pot? I haven't. Chuck, I ain't put all mine in there. I still, I still got a lot of stuff I'm working out. So I'm just staying with him. And as I feel it raging, I, re- I reject. I reject the feeling of wanting to use it to serve myself instead of surrendering it to him. I reject it. When we take the bitter and the sweet and we give it to Jesus at the cross, we deny self and depend on him, then something incredible can come from our lives. So you're going to get a cookie today. Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. Rachel made a whole lot of cookies. Everybody in there, we're, we're going to get them on the way out. Did you enjoy the, the message? I know it's a difficult message to hear.